Hi and welcome to the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon. In each episode, we'll talk to or about an interesting person or organization related to journalism. The intent is to show that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Thank you for listening. Marjorie Cortez is an education reporter for the Deseret News in Utah. Prior to her current role on the Utah In-Depth team, she was an editorial writer, columnist, and Sunday opinion section editor. For those unfamiliar, the Deseret News covers news locally and nationally and is the oldest continuously operating publication in the American West. The company that owns the publication is owned by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Hi, Marjorie. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So your origin story, I imagine, goes back a pretty good ways. What's your journalism origin story? Well, it's funny. I, I, I was I was on the front page of the newspaper the day I was born. My mother delivered me, and it turned out I was the five thousandth baby that the hometown doctor had delivered, and so that was news. So that was my first foray into journalism. Where were you born? I was born in Alamosa, Colorado, kind of a farming community, and you know I was thinking, what, what is my origin story? I, I think it really kind of goes back to my mother was a big news consumer. And I, I grew up in what, what you call those print rich environments where you have a lot of newspapers and books. And we always had newspapers just littering the floor on Sunday mornings. And I was kind of an early reader and I just consumed them. I, I loved all of them. And my mother would point out this woman that was an anchor on television in Denver her name is Raynelda Muse, and she was the first black anchor, I think, certainly in the West. And she would just point her out and how amazing she was. And I honestly, I just, she became like this role model of mine. And I just got really interested in doing this for a living. Is there anything in your family or heritage that would have lent itself to journalism or storytelling? Well, you know, we all we all have family members who are tall tale tellers. <laughs> sure, <laughs> a few, few of those, but no, nobody else really did this. My my dad was a public school teacher. No, I can't say that I have that in my lineage, but I okay. certainly found my way into it. Yep, and if you can. Just trace your career path for us. I know that you've been at the Deseret News for uh, upwards of 30 years. Yeah, I started out actually in Colorado at the Pueblo Chieftain, which is a paper that was family owned until recently and and now belongs to Gannett. Well, Gatehouse News slash Gannett. And that that was a really good place to start out. and, And it was a fun place to work. And also I got a lot of help from experienced journalists and just incredible access to places. Like I remember there was a guy that won the doll making contest in the Colorado State Fair, and he was a patient at the Colorado State Hospital. And I thought, wow, that, that that's really interesting to me. How, you know, is he doing this? They let me go into the Colorado State Hospital and I'll never forget, he, he was in the forensic ward and, and they just, let me in and I'll never forget the doors closing behind me. It seemed like there were 12 of them by the time we got to the area where he was at. And, and I think, you know, who gets to do stuff like that? <laughs> and, and we certainly don't have access to people like that now. I mean, now we're kind of 
in this era where there are public information officers for just about everyone. And, and so to actually be given physical access to spaces or to people, it, it, we, we don't have that to the same degree at all now. My, my husband, or soon to be husband, we, we met in uh, Colorado and he wanted to move back closer to family and he got a job. He was a prosecutor, got a job in the district attorney's office. So we were engaged. So I came with him and I kind of quietly told myself, I'll give this six months. I, I don't know about living in Utah. And here we are married 35 years later. <laughs> and I worked first for the Standard Examiner, which is also at that time a family owned newspaper in Ogden, Utah. And that was a really fun experience because everyone was pretty young and out of, you know, fresh out of school and we had a really great editor and, and then, I don't know, I, I did that for about two years and then I landed at the Deseret News. And you've had a number of different jobs within that organization. What did you take from each of the ones that you had? I, I, I think my, my time when I was an editorial writer, writing opinion, it kind of taught me to slow down and be more thoughtful. You know, we, we had a really, my, my, our editor was very insistent about doing a good job of reporting editorials, not just blasting out an opinion, you know, just like doing the same kind of research you would for an article, making those phone calls and, and, and doing your due diligence. And, and I found that really important. I was a college debater. And so I had a really good background in doing research and of course talking. And so those things have served me really well. Um, and I've covered a lot of different things like water and prisons and education and business. <laughs> and now that there's so few of us left, we kind of do a little bit of everything. So I kind of feel like a short order cook some days. <laughs> but the primary beat uh, is education. And just to give some examples, I'm going to just read some kind of like summaries of, of recent work. Uh, a story about how a children's book was being pulled from school libraries for being sexually suggestive, quote, sexually suggestive. What do mm -hmm. homeschool educators think about ChatGPT? A profile of the leader of the leading international interfaith organization. One that piqued my interest uh, looking back about a year ago for, about an athletic competition where parents questioned an athlete's gender and it turned out that she had always been female. I mentioned LBG, LGBTQ issues. I mentioned book censorship. I mentioned all these different things. What is coverage like on your beat? Well, it, it's certainly not talking a lot about education. I mean, we were talking more about social issues now. And some ghastly few or low number of children read on grade level in Utah, and we never seem to pay much attention to that. But, you know, it, there was a lot of energy behind parents reviewing books and the transgender athletes. And I, I, I think those are really important issues. And they're often really painful for the communities that they're about and sometimes painful to cover. I mean, it, it, it's been a very interesting, I, I would say the last five years have, have been more challenging in some ways, especially with the book issues, the book reviews. There's just this parents' rights 
activism that doesn't play by the same rules that I'm used to. You know, I work, I've worked extensively with a lot of different special interest groups. And some people are really good at knowing how to play the game. They know how, you know, they need to return phone calls or texts or emails. And, you know, they understand I have a job to do and I'm doing my due diligence when I contact them. And, and there's been a greater reliance by uh, a lot of newer groups on social media and, and they, they just don't play the game, you know, and, and I don't like writing in my stories did not respond for comment, but it's just a different animal now. Is there, is there something that you've covered recently that you're particularly intrigued by? I thought this story about the, what's itty bitty kitty corn, this children's book, they got flagged by this school board member in Texas for being sexually suggestive and using the they pronouns. And it turns out it was grammatically correct. It was two characters talking. So we would say they, that was how I was taught anyway. And it just became this boogeyman under a false premise. And it, and it was really interesting to me how that can happen and, and how these books end up on other people's lists. And there's not a lot of thought behind it or research. And I find that so distressing. What is the readership like of your articles on those subjects? Like what's that, their response? That story got a lot of traffic. And I think it's just because People were just like, children's book and sexually suggestive? What's that all about? I mean, a lot of it's just SEO, writing good headlines, but but it's also just, what's going on? I mean, we, we, we know that from polling, our own polling and national polling, that, that people are really highly concerned about this. But as I wrote in my story, you know, there were two more books removed from a library in, Salt, in Davis County, uh, a suburb of Salt Lake. and. No one even showed up to speak about it. And it's just become a matter of course that's part of school board's consent, consent agendas, which, you know, also is, covers how much toilet paper they're buying that month. <laughs> and I, I just found it really distressing that no one was speaking up anymore. Let me move to another uh, topic that you've covered recently. You recently covered a high school graduation ceremony for incarcerated students. What was that like? Wow. Well, that was the first time I'd been inside our new prison. We spent like a billion dollars building a new prison and it took a long time to get in, even longer to get out, as you might imagine. It, it, high school graduation, and I've covered so many of them, it's such a normalizing experience. And then later I'm looking up the people I talk to and, you know, there are people there who are there for killing people or molesting children. And, and I really struggled with whether to include that in my article. And I decided not to, because I felt like that was an accomplishment for them and, and really a great accomplishment when you think the prison population has a lot of people who are poorly educated and there are a lot of reasons for that. And to achieve that in prison during COVID and then also moving the prison was a great accomplishment. So I decided that day not to go there. I'm kind of struggling sometimes to see, you know, whether that was the right decision, but I think it was.
That's an, it's, an, it's certainly a uh, an interesting discussion. Are there other things where you run into, I get, where are some things where you run into questions about how do I cover this, especially for someone that's been doing this for so long that still runs into those kinds of questions? Oh, boy. I once interviewed a woman whose two sons died by suicide about a year apart, and they both died in her home, which she was still living in. She had two other children. And I remember having a great debate about with an editor about, well, how did this happen? And I said, they hanged themselves. And he said, well, we need to put that in the story. And, it, and it's one of those things where the, the national guidance around it says, don't do that. I, I didn't want to leave a perception out there that they had been careless leaving a weapon around because that's not what happened. And then, and then I went into that story thinking, I don't want to cause this woman any more grief in her life, you know, which is kind of arrogant on my part. I mean, what, what could possibly measure up to losing two of your children? He finally made the decision that we would include it. And I, I didn't feel quite right about it. But later I, I talked to the mom again and, and she seemed okay with the story. So I guess I can live with myself. <laughs> well, there there's certainly hard questions to ponder, whether you're a journalist with a year experience or a journalist with 30 plus years experience. Besides the social issues with regards to education, what are some of the other stories that you're continuously following? Well, I've been following the student loan issues. And I have student or children with the, the, this issue. So I certainly have my own personal interest in that. I recently reported on two people who I have written about in the past who were just stuck, who had their loans forgiven. So it was kind of nice to, to see where that was going. And, and there's just a lot of other issues, you know, there's a lot of issues about diversity, a lot of transgender issues, free speech on campuses. And we're seeing that now after the attack on Israel. And we have had rallies at the University of Utah representing Palestinian students and, and, and Israel. And so far, that's been peaceable. You know, we, we seem to the University of Utah used it seems to do a good job of that. What makes the state so interesting to cover? Well, it's an interesting place because of its history. It's an interesting place. Uh, one in five uh, Utahns is a school-aged child. So there's a lot of tax issues and political issues behind that. Um, it's, it's just a stunningly beautiful place. We have five gorgeous national parks. Um, the state tourism is so dependent on them that they were going to fund keeping them open during the government shutdown, if it came to that. And it's a growing place. And I think people look to it, you know, we, we have kind of these dynamic politicians like Mitt Romney and our own governor that are kind of in the national sphere that people pay a lot of attention to. 
What about the religious aspect of the state? Yeah, well, that's kind of, yeah, that's an obvious one. I think people uh, are kind of fascinated by a place that is such a stronghold for a single religion. Of course, when I was living in Pueblo, Colorado, the Catholic Church was that religion. So I'm, I'm kind of used to that, but I, I'm not myself a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but I have deep respect for the charitable work it does. I think, as one of my friends put it, it's what makes Utah such a weird place and also what makes Utah such a nice place. <laughs> <laughs> I I noticed too. Th this paper has won a lot of awards uh, over time, so I don't think there's a question as to the the way that it covers things and and things of that sort. But how does the paper being owned by who it's owned by impact uh, what you do, if at all? Oh, it it does impact. I mean, there are certain issues that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints feels strongly about, as any church might. I, I mean, I personally just try to aim down the middle. I, I, that's always been how I've handled things. I, again, don't, I don't come from that background. So, I mean, I don't even really understand a lot of the nuance sometimes, <laughs> but, but I, you know, there are just some issues we probably wouldn't write about or people wouldn't appear on ed our editorial pages because it's a more conservative paper. But I've just kind of always found my peace in just doing, trying to do really strong, defensible journalism. And that's really the best I can hope for. So essentially conservative from an editorial page standpoint. But as you I, I said- I will tell you one story. I wrote a, an article sure. of an opinion piece about gay marriage. And I just went too far, according to editors, and they, they killed it. But But the point was that my brother had become an online minister and my goofy brother can marry people now. Wow. But my point was that the marriage license is a government activity. It, it's not a, a secular experience and, and people who want sanctified marriages that mean something else still could do that. But I guess it was a bridge too far for the ownership and that one went bye-bye. Gotcha. So you did a piece, you've, you've covered non-education things too, even as during the time that you've been an education reporter for them recently. I saw, I saw one from March about life on a bus that serves as a warming station for homeless people. What right. was that one like to cover? Well, actually I had covered human services for quite a while after I was no longer on the editorial board. And, and the reason I wasn't anymore is we, we had a big layoff. We laid off like 43% of our people around 2010 and my position was eliminated. So I went back to reporting. I didn't do anything so cataclysmic. They kicked me out. But <laughs> and so I, it's, I've done a lot of reporting about people experiencing homelessness. The bus was actually a photo driven assignment. One of the photographers I've worked closely with, she goes, Hey, have you seen this bus? It's around town. And she goes, Man, she goes, I think there's a story there. And so we just started following it around. And I mean, it has a wood burning stove and just rugs on the floor. And Utah had such a terrible winter last year. There were seven people who died um, from cold exposure. 
And so people were just looking for any kind of strategy to get people out of the cold. And, and that's what this became. But, but it also became a, a big challenge because there was no place really to legally park it with people staying in it. And so that became part of the story. And, you know, it, it was interesting. I went there one day and they were cooking on the wood burning stove and and it had become kind of its own little community by the end when, when the usage wasn't so intense because of the weather, it had kind of become a community. And the next stage was to turn it into something like an internet cafe. But it was a really frustrating story to do because, you know, it was getting kicked out of places and I was trying to obtain police reports and I couldn't get them immediately. And and they were kind of hiding from police, ducking into, you know, private property. <laughs> it was just, it was a crazy story to cover. <laughs> sure, but it was an, it's an important one too, certainly. Yeah, and and I think that is probably the thing I've learned most from covering people experiencing homelessness. It's just, it's so important, probably you know, them more than anybody to treat them with compassion and dignity and. I, I mean, I really can't begin to understand what it's like not to have a home, but I do know that just my own personal ethos calls on me to treat them as kindly as I can. Where do your story ideas come from? Everywhere. <laughs> I mean, next door, my, one of my daughters is a licensed clinical social worker. She gives me ideas. My other daughter works in public health. She gives me ideas. I look at next door. I read other newspapers. I have conversations with, you know, people standing in line at the bakery. <laughs> I mean, just, I, they're everywhere. You know, I, I used to think it's not you know, if you're confining yourself to whatever press whatever press release comes into your lap. That's that's not getting it done. Can you give a recent example of a day in the life? Well, I've been working at home since just before the pandemic started. And my husband had retired. And so I felt like I was crashing the party. He and his, and our dog had kind of, or at least their routine that they'd established. So, so I go into it with that. And then he, he, he has a, a disability and so after he had COVID, he required a lot more care. So I'm kind of doing both of these jobs at once or responsibilities at once. And, and so start my day starts with an online meeting with my bosses and we kind of sort out what we're doing for the, that day's, you know, newsfeed. And we have a weekly meeting where there's a little more strategy and thinking about long-term stories. And then, then I'm just kind of turned loose for the day, unless we have a staff meeting or something. And just tons of phone interviews, getting back a little bit more into in-person interviews, which I'm enjoying. And just working hard to meet deadlines and push those analytics. <laughs> That's a, a very big difference from when I started and it was more public service minded, I guess. What are the journalism issues that you're most passionate about? Oh, I, I guess my heart has always been 
just pointing out injustices or the underdog, you know, whether that's a, a student who's, you know, in a, in a poorly resourced school or someone experiencing homelessness or a single mom. I, I really like those kinds of stories because I, I hope they open people's eyes of, of the challenges so many people face and, and that might not be their reality, but you know, these people's lives are important and these are things we should be caring about. What's the process of writing like for you? <laughs> you know, it's a funny thing. I mean, it seems to go one way or the other where the interview is the fun part and the writing is the hard part or the writing is just like, I can't wait to tell this story. I can't wait to find fun ways to express it and, and meaningful ways to express it. I had this great story that just kind of fell on, literally fell on my lap. We got this kind of weird news tip about some wrestlers that got attacked by a grizzly bear. And I thought, well, that's a really good story. I'm going to make a couple phone calls. And by the end of the day, I had talked to everyone that was in that party. They, they were looking for antlers and they were in Wyoming and they got attacked by a bear and this one guy pulled the bear off the other guy and they both got badly injured but i had talked to every single one of those people and the two others that were accompanying them, them that day and their wrestling coach and you know i'm turning the story like at 10 o'clock at night and i thought what a gift from the gods that i got to all this access because this never happens <laughs> i would have thought the university or the college would have shut it down but i mean it was just such a fascinating story and and just their bravery and and maybe that's the great thing about being a 19 year old young man is that you are, you know, nothing phases you. You just go for it with great gusto. And it was just an incredible experience. And yeah, and yet another story that did pretty well online. Is there a story from your past, and this could go way back if you want, that you're particularly proud of? The same photographer I worked with on the homeless bus we interviewed this young man who was a student at a refugee charter school and it was just really fun to watch him because he was kind of a leader among these young men and Kristen Murphy the photographer she later learned that he rode the commuter train from Ogden Utah to Salt Lake City every morning to go to school so it's like a five and a half hour trip on transit come, coming and going. So we tagged along with him and it, it was just a fascinating story. And then we followed him through his high school graduation. And it was just a really fun story to do. And then somehow Extreme Makeover found out about him. They found our story somehow. And so they, they built him and his family at that time, it was him and his aunt and one brother and two sisters, um, they built them a brand new house and a contractor in Ogden, Utah was kind of behind the whole project. And then townspeople worked on the house. I mean, it was just this 
amazing experience that this little story turned into this really life-changing gift for this family. And I was really proud of that. It was, it was kind of funny. Kristen said, have you ever won a Pulitzer Prize? And I, I just thought it was kind of funny that she asked. <laughs> <laughs> but it was also like, wow, you know, this amazing thing happened. She goes, well, this is better than a Pulitzer Prize. She goes, this is life-changing. And she continues to keep up with the family. And he got married and he's starting his own family. And I don't know. It, it That's was cool. Just, it's weird That's... how it all just kind of, you know, there was just this domino effect and it, it just turned out so fantastically for them. That's cool that you got to experience it that way and certainly cool for them. What's the best journalism example you have of learning from a mistake? <laughs> how long do you have? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was very early on in my career and as we as was common in those days, they, they put you on the police speed. That was your first job. And I got a police report about a traffic fatality. It was a two car accident. And I wrote about the wrong person expiring. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. I heard about that for a long time and it was a really I mean, of course, unfortunate, and I'm still embarrassed to this day, but it was just yet another reminder to check and check again. And I hope I didn't cause anyone too much pain with that. It was just horrible. But I mean, the last thing you ever wanted to do as a journalist is have that correction in the newspaper the next day. <laughs> yep. Or, or, you know, publications that do them online now. It's You don't want to be there. Yep, certainly. No, that, that's a good one. Certainly a good one for uh, younger journalists to uh, learn from. Um, like two more. Um, how do you view your role as a journalist in 2023? It's, I'm so glad I have this much experience under my belt doing this work now because I feel pretty confident that I can handle just about anything because I've covered a lot of different things. I mean, I, I met my husband when he was uh, a young prosecutor and I was covering courts. And so I, I had, I've covered courts, I've covered police, I've covered water, I've covered agriculture, you know, human services. I mean, I, I feel like, of course, education, I, I just feel like I have, a really good foundation for just about anything I do. And I have a nice historical sense of things. It, it's just this really fast moving river. It's this insatiable beast that needs to be fed all the time. So it's, it's a, it's a very different way of working. Once in a while, I, I get to do a project that I, I'm, you know, pretty excited about, but it, it's like a, it, it's very different. And, and I feel like, just the reasons I went into journalism probably don't exist in the same way. I mean, it, that public service model is, is not, you know, you know, no one's going to school board meeting every Tuesday night to inform you what happened. That that just doesn't happen. And it's not, it's not just me. I, when I first came to this market, there was a, there were three, usually four or five reporters at everything I was at. And it didn't matter what it was. 
the most boring water meeting, you know, court hearing, I mean, you name it. And of course, the industry's changed so much that, that you know, everyone's doing more with less. Certainly. So the show is called The Journalism Salute. We salute you for your work, and we ask that you do likewise. Is there a journalist or journalism organization that you would like to salute for their good work? Big fan of Education Writers Association. I was also a member of the National Conference of Editorial Writers. It's now American Society of News Editors. It's kind of folded into that. I, I th always felt like both of those organization organizations did really great work about supporting journalists and keeping them informed and national conference of editorial writers was fantastic because we got to go to the state department and meet with these you know, top leaders and I, I really wish i had that opportunity now as the world is becoming increasingly complicated all right uh, marjorie cortez uh, education reporter for the desert news in utah thank you very much for joining us uh, best of luck we will continue to follow your work Wonderful. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. Please let us know what you think of the show. You can find us on Twitter at JournalismPod, and you can email us at journalismsalute at gmail.com.